Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapist. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast about all of the things that affect therapists, what we do, the clients that we see, and as we have things that happen in the world, as we do here on the podcast from time to time, we sometimes bring more urgent episodes that we didn't normally have on our content calendar. And today is talking with Rob Bates, retired senior infantryman, LMHC in Washington State. And I'm talking about the stuff going on in the world, particularly the changes that have happened in Afghanistan here over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of the military members and veterans from across the world and here in America are uh, very much having some responses to this. I know that I've had some former clients reach out to me who've been in the military, served in Afghanistan themselves, seeing a report from the Department of Veteran Affairs that on Monday they saw a 9% increase to their veterans crisis hotline as far as outreach to their staff by veterans. And so helping our audience here and helping us along the way, thank you, Rob, for joining us, sharing some of your background and helping us to better be able to serve people who have served our country and are now having to react to a very drastic shift. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. So we're really pleased because we were able to talk with you on very short notice. So thank you so much for doing that. But to get us started, we always ask our guests, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Yeah. You know, when we talk about that expert in the culture, I, you know, I started in the military when I was 18 years old and, and, you know, I joined the military straight out of high school Spent 20 years, uh, started in Second Ranger Battalion and, and, you know, stayed in the infantry for, for the rest of my time and, and held every position in the infantry company from uh, an ammunition bearer for the machine gun teams to uh, an infantry first sergeant and the operations NCO for an infantry battalion. My combat experience spans from the first Gulf War through Bosnia, Kosovo, into Iraq and Afghanistan doing combat deployments in both, you know. My actual uh, records say I have 60 months in combat, which, you know, it is what it is. Some, ty- some days are really uh, intense and, and some days are, are just really boring in an intense way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing some of the things that these kids can think up to keep themselves uh, entertained when, when the world gets really boring. 
but you know, then we, we take that back and, and we look at some of the hardest days in combat. I, I, I think about my year in Afghanistan for my last tour. And, and I think we lost 13 people just with, with KIA and, and the casualties and, and the uh, just people evacuated for every, every reason under the sun were just impossible. You know, and so I went through my own transition as I, as I retired and tried to figure out what this next step was. And, and I, I tried to uh, go get some mental health and, and, you know, I, I realized really quickly that, that as mental health providers, we really speak a different language from, from the language I was used to in, in the military. And what I decided was, I don't have to be the smartest person in the world. I have lots of great smart therapists that can surround me, but I, I speak a language that none of them speak. So I'm able to go in and just have that interpersonal connection with with veterans and, and have a conversation and help them work through whatever they're they're struggling with in the moment. And as as I have that question, I just reach out to these people that that I know can support me and around me in this tribe of really really smart people and 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 get some direction and help me go forward. And you know through the process, I've I've realized I'm I'm probably just as smart as them, but you know I still have that 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 whole, <laughs> that that old. Uh, thought process that comes through myself as, as when you join the military, you, you, you think you uh, are a little bit less than, and then, then you really push those boundaries and you figure out how much capability you have and, and how much capacity you have for real change and real movement and how great of a person you possibly can be. So it's, it's pretty amazing. For those of us that have been in the field for a while, we've always kind of heard that working with members of the military, working with veterans does require a unique skill set and a knowledge of the processes that go along with being in the armed services. What should therapists know about the unique concerns that military members do bring to therapy? When we work in therapy, we we kind of round off the edges and we make it we make it okay to not be perfect and, and to, to experience failure. Really, a, a lot of people that have served in the military have, have lived in a, in a zero defect environment because when we make mistakes, they have real consequences for other human beings. And, and they're usually the people to our left and our right that we, we truly love and, and, and care about in, in our own platonic ways. So as, as we go through that process, understanding that, that you're going to talk to somebody that is very rigid and their idea of right and wrong, and then very rigid in, in the idea of perfection is, is where we have to start and helping somebody understand that, yeah, there, there are bad days and, and things don't always go right, but we always do the best we can. That That is the most important thing we need to understand as, as we work with veterans. We asked this question for a lot of our folks. What do you think therapists can get wrong in working with military members, with veterans that would be pretty harmful to them? You know, I, as a therapist, I chose a, a, a very liberal university to really immerse myself in as I made this transition from a very, very rigid, very structured place as, as the military into being a therapist. So I, I really wanted to experience something that was was completely opposite of, of what I'd known. And what I found when I got there was people didn't un- understand who we are. What I think people need to understand is we really... As military members, we're really good people who are trying to do the absolute best we can in sometimes just situations where there is no no good answer or no right answer. I've sat down with a lot of kids after you know they've they've been in firefight and, and had to make a choice and, and defend their lives. And and honestly, if we have retrospect on on these things, 
there, there probably are about a thousand things I could have done differently. But for that kid in that moment, he really didn't have a choice or didn't see a different way. So being able to, to hold this thing where we allow people to, again, not be perfect in, in what they are. I, I feel like while we're completely non-judgmental as, as a profession, we're also some of the most judgmental people that I know and, and, and the way with what we interact with people and, and what we hold for people as they go through this process. So I'm hearing you say that there is a, a, a sense of judgment around these life and death decisions that, that you find that therapists who are not familiar with military personnel or veterans, that they could potentially put forward a lot of judgment or bias that would make things a lot worse. Absolutely. I mean, whether or not we're, we realize we're doing it or whether or not that veteran is realizing what they're doing or not, you know, they judge themselves so much that anything that comes from us just shuts them down and, and they don't, they don't want to talk about it anymore. They just want to let it go. And they, they, they're already struggling with this moral injury of, of being the perpetrator of that violence against somebody else. That it just makes it so difficult in order to have that conversation in itself. I think about my own journey at, at, to recovery and, and, and to being a, a therapist and, and finding somebody that I felt like it was safe to have these conversations with was really difficult, you know, because I had to get over first this thing inside of me that, that I felt like I may be traumatizing the therapist that I was going to be talking with about some of the stuff that was going on. And, and, you know, it's great as a therapist to now understand that, that idea of of secondary traumatization, but at that time I didn't know. So these kids, they don't, they don't know that we're already prepared for that. We don't know that that's going to go on, but they're still worried about it. Having been in the military as long as you have, and I'm sure, you know, remaining in contact, not only with clients who are serving veterans, but also your own personal relationships with other people that I'm sure you've come across in your life. How have some of the therapeutic conversations or or the feelings conversations, if it's outside of the therapy room, shifted since the U.S. started drawing down in Afghanistan? Do you mean since the we first made the uh, the peace agreement, or since Monday when we when we watched people fall off the planes as they were they're running in fear for their lives? I will say since the peace agreement. Okay, yeah, because those are really two different is- issues. You know, because since the peace agreement, people are are in two camps. Uh, you know, we we all recognize that there's this idea that the the drawdown needs to happen. That's a it's a geopolitical issue that that's not necessarily at our level for for the majority of us. I mean that that's politicians and 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 whatever they're going to do. But there's also this this idea that that we made a promise each and every one of us as we walk out and we talk to people and we try to keep them safe and we do everything we could to keep these these people that we we formed relationships with and and we really worked really hard to have that engagement with and and, and help them to learn and, and, and grow and, and to create safer communities for themselves. So, and, and, and there's this, this feeling that, that we're, we're walking away from that promise. And, and, you know, I, I recognize that it may be a little naive, but, you know, our, we're taught in, our, in the military that our word means something. And then when we say something, we follow through with it. And we, that is what we do. So to, to have that part where, where we're just going to walk away and, and, and let them live their life, that, that was uh, that was hard as well, but 
then we, we, we come forward and, and we see how this is actually playing out when we, uh, was at the 4th of July when, when we literally just abandoned our, our, our stations, got on planes and everyone flew out. Think about that. That was, that was really kind of shocking. I understand how, how these operations happen and I understand the need for secrecy, but that, that was really hard to watch. And that was really hard to hear about. You know, not only are we just abandoning these people that were fighting beside us the day before without even telling them, but we're leaving all this additional equipment there that it, that can be used against us in, in the future. And that that's really hard to see as, as, as a soldier. And, and that's really hard to hear from, from, from my, my peers and my friends as they're going through that as well. And then we fast forward to Monday when we had, we saw this complete and total collapse. When we saw the, the last people, Americans being pulled out of, out of Afghanistan. And you started, started seeing pictures, uh, started seeing direct correlations between the last day in Saigon and the last day in, in, in Kabul. And, and I, one of the biggest memes that's going around with a lot of my friends is, is really that, that, that picture of a CH-47 helicopter taking people off the roof of the embassy in, in Saigon and, and being compared directly to a CH-47 helicopter coming into the, uh, the diplomatic compound in Kabul itself, where it, when you look at the picture, except for the number of people on the roof, it, they don't look any different. They, they are they're spot on exactly the same. So it, it's, it's really difficult to see that, you know, so we woke up to those, those kind of things going on Monday morning. And I, and I got to tell you, even for me, by, by Monday afternoon, I, I, I called and canceled my afternoon clients and just started calling veterans because at home at lunch, sorry, it's, it's difficult for me to talk about too. It's, it's hard for me Yeah. at lunch. I'd gone home. I'm listening to NPR and they're, they're, they're doing an interview with the CENTCOM commander, and he's taking responsibility for, for the military's failures. Um, I'm, I'm watching the video of the C-17 taken off with, with human beings falling off of it, and, and that in itself was just difficult. I'm watching my, my news feed on, on Facebook, and, and all my friends are, are, are desperately trying to get our, our friends out of Afghanistan, whether they were interpreters, whether they're Afghan commandos or fighting beside us, whether Afghan National Army, they were fighting beside us, and they're desperately trying to get people help. You know, and, and there's just nothing we can do. So there's just this hopelessness and helplessness. So for me personally, I, I recognized that I really wasn't going to be very effective that afternoon. And I didn't want to contain my own emotions at that point. So I didn't want, didn't want to, to have to have, yeah, didn't want to contain my own emotions in the moment. So I just started, I canceled my appointments for the afternoon and started calling my friends and making sure they were doing okay so that we can be okay in that moment. But it was a very, very hard day for all of us. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. 
They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. At the time of this recording, the, the, this is four days after Kabul was taken over. I know that avoiding media and avoiding social media is almost impossible these days, but as the internet tends to do, everyone has an opinion of what should have happened. And it's a very complicated place in the world. It's a very complicated situation that's happened. How are veterans taking in all of these opinions from people who last week were experts on vaccination ingredients and now are geopolitical scientists who have simple fixes for what should have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, well, veterans as, as a whole tend to be a very opinionated bunch and each and everyone has their own opinion and they all think that they're right. And you know what, again, there's a, a lot of really smart people out there, whether they, they were officer enlisted and, and they, uh, have some really great ideas, you know? So, that there probably were some better solutions out there. Unfortunately, this is this is the one we have, and this is the one we need to work through. So, a- avoiding social media is, is going to be hard, but we can focus on what right or wrong. This is what happened, <laughs> and that that as something that actually deeply resonates with the military because you know we we make decisions and and we follow through with those decisions, and sometimes. Sometimes in the end, we find out that wasn't the right decision and we have to be flexible in, in ourselves and, 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 and change direction as, as we go through it. Just like we're seeing with the administration as, as they're flexible on this idea that, that we were just packing up Americans and, and putting them on planes and, and making them leave, or not making them leave, but giving them the opportunity to leave, to this idea where we're we're evacuating as many people as we possibly can during the time period that, that we are going to be there. You know, it's pretty amazing to see some of the pictures that are out there. You know, they, uh, I, my, my biggest hero in this entire thing is the, uh, the C-17 aircraft commander that, that he had people start running into his plane down a, a half lower gate, uh, tailgate of his plane. And instead of, forcing them off his aircraft. He, he packed as many people as he possibly could into his aircraft, probably against orders and, and flew to Qatar with them because it was, it was more empathetic and humanitarian to just take those people with him than it would have been to force them off the plane in a way that would may not have been ethically or morally okay for anybody. Yeah. It seems like the whole situation is so complex and there, there, you know, this, this time around, there is so much polarization. There's so much, you know, like Kurt was saying, like these, these pundits that have never even been in the military have no idea that are, are making all these statements. And I think there's, there's so much opportunity for people to 
be swirling around, and I'm just going to say it, in this toxic mess yeah. of opinion and a really horrible situation. And it, and it just seems like there's a lot of things, a lot of issues that would be coming up. You know, there was the sacrifice that's, re- that's expected of those who join the military, but there, this is a different type of sacrifice that all of a sudden, what does it mean? There's been identity. There's all these gains that seem like they've been completely lost. And yeah. it, it just seems to me like there's, there's a lot of deep issues that whether they've been swirling around for years or not would be rising to the surface for our clients who have served in the military, especially those who've served in Afghanistan. How do we support the folks that are, are facing these things who, who served in Afghanistan, maybe those who are even being evacuated and coming into our offices? Like, How do we best support them in trying to even grasp a, a fraction of what it is that they're experiencing? clinically. I really appreciate that you talk about the people that are being evacuated because those people are running for their lives because of a reason. They're they're truly terrified. Yeah. And and they they have good reason to be terrified. Um the the Taliban are, are not nice people. What do we what do we say to these people? Or um, even just how do we think of how do we kind of clinically, yeah. you know, comprehend what the picture is in front of us? And how do we best support them? You know, I, I, I go back to this idea of, of uh, Dave Grossman wrote this amazing book that, and it's, and it's on killing. And, and, and I think, I think Dave gets about 75% of it. Right. I think we talk about, we talk about when we, when we have to go into this mindset where, where veterans have to have to make a choice about killing people and, 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 and go into this place that's really dark and, and really unaccepted by, by civil society. We go through this, this process of dehumanization of the people that we're actually working with because it, it, it creates psychological safety for us as, as we go forward. But we also live in the real world where, where people have value. They're human beings. You know, I, I, I don't just think about my own soldiers that, that, that fought beside me. But I think about the, the sons and the daughters and the children of, of the people that we were fighting against that often got caught in the crossfire. It's not just, it's not just the mothers and, and sisters and fathers and brothers of, of the people that didn't come home here. It's the people there too. So, you know, it's, it's really a complicated and difficult thing. And, and you're right. These pundits are going to say whatever they're going to say. They're getting paid to say it. But as veterans, we're, we're torn between these two things. We have to validate who we are and what we've done, but we also have empathy and, and we're growing through, going through this post-traumatic growth of, of becoming these human beings that can accept what, what would happen and, and, and how it happened and, and, and grow into better human beings, whatever that looks like. I'm not somebody who's served in the military. I don't have a, a ton of experience working with military members. A lot of this sounds like working with grief, of really being able to move into a place of acceptance and really complicated grief because of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh ambiguous sort of loss as some of those connections that some of the military members might be having with some of the people in the Afghan army and some of the interpreters and stuff that have been 
worked with over there who have been left behind and questioning if those people are going to still be alive. How, do, how can we help our therapists kind of put this into some of the skill sets that they might already have around working with grief that further help some of the veterans and people that might be seeking those therapeutic services at this time that might help better this for some of those clients? Absolutely. I think this is, I think you're, you're, you're spot on calling this a complicated grieving process because we're, we're grieving, we're grieving the friends that we left behind. We're grieving the efforts that we put into this that, that have no, well, appear to have no value in in reality. We're grieving the lives lost. You know, I, I, Whenever I think about something that's like like this, I always go back to Frankel and 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 he when he talked about the the concentration camps in Germany, he said the best of us did not survive. And as difficult it is as it is to say, I often feel that way about about my experience in combat, where some of some of the best and brightest did not make it home, and and it's really hard to deal with that. So, you know, as we go through this process of complicated grief and mourning, we, we have to, to just really come into this, this idea of, of, of creating a new purpose and creating a new future for ourselves and figuring out how we're going to connect back into this real world. And as we grieve that, as we go through that process of complicated grieving and mourning, mourning it's, uh, it, it is exactly spot on and how to approach this and how to go through this, you know. It, it's not just that simple PTSD. It's, it's not this event happened. I'm now phobic to this. Now I have these reactions to this. It's this trauma informed, just holistic vision that, that so many things have happened and it affects so many parts of our lives. And as we encounter these things, as we go through the lifespan and we see these things as, as, as they are, understanding what they are, understanding how they connect to that grief and understanding that, that we're going to continue to grieve this through the rest of our lives. You know, as, as we, as we have these new moments where we get to see our children grow or, or, or come into conflict with us or, or get angry with us, we have to remember that, that our friends are never going to have those moments as we go through these successes at, as we go through these growths, we got to remember that our friends will, will never have that. And we have to be okay for ourselves right here and right now. And we have to continue to move forward. We have to create that new purpose and meaning for ourselves as, as we go through this. And we have to continue to grow as human beings. And it's really difficult when you're mourning that much, that's with grief and that much loss. When you're talking about this, I think there's the the grief that you're you're mentioning. It also feels like there is big shifts that have had to occur in in how someone operates as a human, how they see the world. And, and this process of dehumanizing both self and other seems like it's fundamentally required for psychological safety in combat. And prior to this week, I'm curious how you work with clients to move away from that dehumanization and, and gain back compassion humanity, connection, seeing the value of people, seeing the value of life, like what's been kind of the strategies you've used in the past 
uh, kind of separating it from the current thing, just because I think there's some a baseline of how we help military members and veterans that, that maybe Kurt and I need to know before we can kind of really understand the impact the last week's had. Yeah, so the, the first person you always have to convince a, a veteran to, to have compassion for is, is, is themselves. So if you mm-hmm. can convince them to have compassion for themselves, they can have compassion for everyone. You know, we, we have the, well, in the army, we had the army core values. And one of those values was selfless service and in selfless service, only the mission has value, not ourself. So to, to have that so ingrained in our everyday life where it became a core value of, of the service itself and to come out into to a world that, that doesn't always operate that way. And, and, and we see things differently. It, it's really difficult. So as we work with people and we help them to have empathy for themselves and, and recognize that, that it's okay to not always be perfect. And it's, it's okay to, to see things that, that, that we have no power or control over and, and be okay with them because we just, we have to be, I mean, we, there, there's, there's nothing we can personally do to solve it as, as a whole. To, to create that self-compassion for somebody is, is really the, 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 the building block for everything else that comes. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. When someone regains that self-compassion, I just, I think about the, the process, the meaning that's attributed, especially if they are struggling to get past the selfless service to the mission. I would imagine that having a mission feel like it completely imploded would have a huge impact on folks who aren't very far along in that process of understanding their value beyond that mission. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the, uh, the Bruce Springsteen song, uh, glory days where he talks about somebody in high school that was a star football player. That's continuing to carry that, that through his entire life. And, and, and that, that's what makes them a person. Mm-hmm. And, and we see a lot of this with, with, with veterans, they, they, they find value in themselves from that, that, that big collective thing that they were in the past, which was being part of this, this service in Afghanistan. And, you know, no matter, no matter what the narrative is, no matter what the politicians were doing, no matter what our orders were from higher, each and every one of us was doing the best we could to help people on an everyday basis. We were out there on, on bad days. We had to shoot at people. On, on most good days, we were doing humanitarian missions. We were helping building schools. We were bringing medic, medical care to, to communities that never had it. We were helping reestablish uh, irrigation canals. We were helping develop communication nodes for people to actually go through. We were helping them reestablish the infrastructure of basic roads so that they could transport each other, transport goods to get the things that they needed. And and those were great things. Those were great missions. And, and to see those things just go away in a heartbeat from something we have no power and control over is, is really difficult. So, yeah, it's really hard. Oftentimes when something like this happens that makes a big wave in the media and a lot of people are called to action and understanding this from 
a, a military experience sort of side. There's a lot of us who are going to be field to be called to do something right now. Predictably, the news cycle is going to change to something else. What is this experience likely to be like for a lot of veterans where I'm sure that a lot of the images that are in the media now are going to be triggering, bringing up a lot of feelings, but also looking ahead to when this isn't at the forefront of the media, for those doing continuing support and continuing therapeutic work with veterans, what kinds of transitions should therapists be ready to look out for as the story moves into something else? Yeah, well, we've already been watching this. I mean, no matter no matter what it is, I mean, as we look at the 24-hour news cycle and how quickly things change, things are only important as long as they're important. Things are only important until they till somebody wants us to look someplace different and and they change that. And and you know that's that's the uh that's the price we pay for corporate controlled media. And and I I I recognize that. I have, I have a lot of friends that have spent a lot of time talking to me about that. And I understand that. And what do we say to veterans as as they're they're struggling with this? We empathize with them and, and and just be as compassionate with them as as we possibly can as they go through that because this isn't a small struggle for them. This is everything. This is a huge part of their life. Uh, you know, not being a veteran, you, there's this thing you can't understand where where when you roll outside the wire and and you go out to fight that day, you don't know if you're coming home. You don't know what's going to happen. It may be a boring day where we just laugh at each other for the things that have happened and, and some of the weird things that they were said or done. Or, or it could be a horrible day where we have to call in helicopters to, to help our buddies out. Or if we, we have to bring our friends back under sheets or in a body bag. And it's just, it's, it's really difficult to be part of this and to go through this. Right. And, and to see this news cycle shuffle as quickly as it does and and to minimize the pain we're going through. It's the same for, for anyone that, that, that is, is truly passionate about a subject and, and sees that subject disappear. We have a, we have a structure already in place for this. We just continue to, to hold that one person in that space where, where we're, we're, we're here doing therapy and we continue to, to be there for them and recognize that they're struggling, they're in pain and, and we, we hear it, we witness it and we're present for it. We need to have another conversation about military mental health. I can think more broadly because it seems like there is so much more to dig into, but we do need to finish for today. But what I'm really hearing and and some of the things that are coming to mind for me is that this, the past week has been truly horrific for, for everyone, but especially for those who have served in the military, even more, especially for those who've served in Afghanistan and being present, understanding that there is deeply complicated grief and and there's also a whole process of you know identity becoming you know kind of rehumanization all of those things that may be hindered in this moment may be impacted in this moment 
I just really, you know, we'll, we'll link to an episode on suicidality and how to assess for suicidality, that kind of stuff. Cause I could see that being yeah. huge right now to make sure that we're, we're making those assessments. But, but I just, I just really want to honor that, uh, this conversation is just beginning. It seems like there is so much here. And thank you so much, Rob, for, for sharing your experience as well as your expertise on, on supporting uh, these folks. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure it's coming across that that I'm not just a mental health therapist, but I'm in grief as well as, as I go yeah. through this process. And, and, I, and I completely agree as, as we create new purpose and meaning and, and help people find a way forward Yes, we're what we're actually avoiding is is that suicidality and and, and that that feeling that everything is lost and there's no reason to go forward. Because yeah. there is there is great reason to go forward. There is great things ahead in our lives. We just have to figure out what those things are. Where can people find out more about you and your practice? And if you have any other suggestions as far as uh, if therapists are called to action at this time, any organizations that you might recommend. Yeah, so my practice is, is here in Washington State, and you can find me at BatesCounselingServices.com. I do mostly telehealth. I live in, in, in rural central Washington because it's, it's the place where I, I feel most comfortable and, and, and enjoy my life on a daily basis. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, organizations we can reach out to, you know, there's a great one called Give an Hour, which, which helps veterans find mental health and, and helps connect us together so that we can find ways to, to help veterans move forward. And, you know, I, I think given hour is a, a great organization and, and, you know, I've, I've had, had a couple experiences talking to other therapists that are, are with given hour and, and for the majority of the people that are, that are connected, that are connecting with military service members also have a connection to the military. So that in itself is, is irreplaceable as, as we help people go forward. And give an hour because the licensure is 50 states, so they help you connect with people wherever you are. Yeah, we have an episode where we've mentioned them before. We have a partnership with them, and, and they actually helped us find you, which has been amazing. Uh, I also have some resources that were sent to me from the VA that have the other, other things that might be helpful for, for veterans and, and active military. So I will put that in the show notes as well as the given hour link and the link for your practice, Rob. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the VA has a long list of resources to use right now. And that I think that's a great opportunity for the VA to help. You know, the VA can be really difficult to deal with administratively <laughs> as, as most bureaucracies are. Yep. But just like therapy, if we learn to speak the language, it, it seems to help. And we, we seem to get better things from the VA but it's still frustrating. So. Sure. Sure. That's why given hours around is to make sure people can find stuff immediately. Right. Um, but but we'll, we'll put all of those links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Cause you know, there, there are some great resources out there that we can push people towards. You can find our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com and we will include all of those links as Katie said. And we appreciate everyone in our modern therapist community who may be called to action in serving and providing for our military community, our, our veteran community. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Bernoy and special thanks to Rob Bates for joining us and sharing everything today. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist 
and use the promo code MODERNTHERAPISTS and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 